The following is a pre-recorded program. It's 906 in News Radio 680 WPTF. We're going to start a little earlier. I like to listen to that theme, and I used to have a friend. John, you remember Mr. Gupton? He used to like to listen to the theme, so he wanted us always to play a little more of it than, than we do. Uh, but uh, we have a lot to talk about tonight, and I have looked forward to tonight for a while. I have a guest here who has been here before, and uh, she frequently calls into the program. But uh, she has a, an unusual story, and she's going to be telling it to you in just a moment. I'm going to get out of her way and let her do the talking. But I do want to say to her that one of my favorite moments on this program occurred when you were here, I believe, the first time that you came. Her name is Ann Budenhagen. Did I pronounce it right, Ann? Budenhagen. Budenhagen, okay. Think of Copenhagen. That's what I tell people. Think right. of Copenhagen. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, that's where, <laughs> where the little whatever is. But the night you came, I don't know if you remember, but you, I asked you about one of my uh, radio heroes who may have come to the Sir Walter Hotel where you lived, and that's what you're going to talk about tonight. And it was, um, oh, my goodness, I'm getting old now. Uh, but... Uh, Paul, thank you. Carl Gersh, yes. I've got my prompt row there. Thank you, Larry. <laughs> Carl Gersh, who's one of my radio heroes and one of the significant people in the history of WPTF and the co-founder of what we now call Our State Magazine. Uh, it was not exactly the same form. It wasn't a slick publication, but it, it is the, the, the ancestor of uh, it. He worked for WPTF for 40 years. And he knew everybody that was worth knowing. And so I knew he had been to the Sir Walter Hotel, which is the place that everybody that's worth knowing went. <laughs> and you said he used to come over and bounce you on his knee. He did. He did. He, he taught me magic tricks. Uh, he taught me card tricks. And he was, I never knew either one of my grandfathers. And so he was like my de facto grandfather. And every time he came to Raleigh and stayed at the Sir Walter, he would always come to see me. And I just loved it. Okay, now you have to help me, and then I'm going to get out of your way here. <laughs> um, we had a call that night, though, from a lady who lived in Holly Springs. And she was either the daughter or the granddaughter. No, granddaughter. Granddaughter. Okay, granddaughter. that's what I wanted you to mm-hmm. correct me on. It was his granddaughter. It was Mr. Gersh's actual granddaughter. Actual granddaughter. Who had been bounced on the same knee. <laughs> and yes. had the, he, she, had, she said to me on the phone that she'd had the same experience that you did. And had forgotten about it, but that, that was just a really wonderful moment when 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 something. Well, that was that was he would take up a, a clean white pocket handkerchief, and he would tie knots in it and make it look like a mouse, a little tiny mouse with a tail and all, and he would put it on his arm and in his hand, and then he would tell me to try and pet the mouse, and when I would do that, he would somehow make the mouse run up his arm so that I wouldn't be able to pet it. And she said that she had forgotten that he knew how to do that trick. She'd forgotten it entirely. Like magic it is. It is. And Budenhagen is going to talk tonight with us about the Hotel Sir Walter. Uh, and you will see, I'm not going to try to suggest why having her talk about it is significant. You will see within the, the conversation what the significance is um, and what we need to start with here. Uh, and I'm truth in broadcasting, like Dr. Walden and two or three <laughs> other of, of my my guess, uh, I'm smart enough to know that, that one of the reasons that she's here, she knows more about this than I do. So she is pre- prepared a cheat sheet for me. And I'm glad that she did because I cannot possibly know everything. But Dr. Walden's done that for 30 years now. <laughs> uh, but we're going to start with a, a little bit of the Hotel Sir Walter history. So Anne Budden, Budden Hagen? Budden Hagen. 
tell us a little bit or a lot of the history of those. <laughs> I love being an ex-history teacher. And I've been trying to think, if you don't mind, I would like if, if you could help me remember some of the names of the— there were about five hotels in downtown Raleigh that were respectable hotels, the Sir Walter being the queen or the king. Uh, well, there was the Raleigh Hotel— there was and, Carol- I cannot remember the name. There was of the, the Carolina Hotel. The Carolina, yes. There was the Andrew Jackson Hotel. Mm-hmm. There was one that was on next to where the News and Observer was that had Turrets, and I can never remember yes, what. Yes, and that, I can't remember the name. I of can't that. remember. The but name of course, of the the original queen of them all was the Yarborough. Uh, right, and, and then, I, but I'll talk a little bit about that. Okay, okay go go for okay. it. Okay. Well, Tom, in 1922, Capital Construction Company was formed for the express purpose of building a large convention-oriented hotel in Raleigh, the purpose being to attract some of the convention traffic that was then going to Greensboro and Durham. And so the Sir Walter was completed and opened for business in 1924. The owners ran a contest to name the new hotel, and the winning name, the Sir Walter Hotel, was announced in the News and Observer in November. May I may I interrupt? May I kibitz a little bit sometime? A little bit. There is, uh, I'm, I, I did a little prepare, little preparation today, and I know that um, Mr. Daniels, Josephus, was mm-hmm. a part of the Capital Construction Company. He was one of the backers of it. Uh, I believe he was, He yes. was, of course, we mm-hmm. have to remember, he's the man behind the News Observer. And, yes. And so on. So, but uh, uh, in any event, I, I thought we would make that connection. And also the man who was involved in the Yarborough Hotel, you're going to tell us about his connection to the Sir Walter. Mm, well, I hadn't. I was I was trying to condense the history of the Sir Walter okay. so that we could get to some of my stories instead. Okay, all right. Okay. okay. You're well, in charge. <laughs> Gee, that's that's good. John, I'm, going, go, John, I'm going to get a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> when the Sir Walter was built, the Yarborough Hotel, which opened in 1852, was the preeminent hotel in Raleigh and probably the best-known hotel in all of North Carolina. But the Sir Walter, which was described as swanky when it opened, immediately began to draw patrons and popularity away from the Yarborough. So a battle for customers seemed imminent until fate stepped in on July 3, 1928. On that date, the Yarborough caught fire and burned almost completely to the ground. But Raleigh was fortunate, as were its owners, that the Sir Walter was able to step into the economic, social, and political void left by the passing of this hostelry. So originally the Sir Walter contained only 240 rooms, but was later expanded in 1928 and again in 1938 to become a 400-room facility, and that made it, at that time, the largest hotel in North Carolina. I have a postcard wherein the hotel is described as, quote, the only hotel in Raleigh with circulating ice water in every room, air-conditioned restaurant, Hotel Sir Walter Garage next door, own laundry and valet plant, Turkish baths, drugstore, two fine restaurants with orchestral music, delightful tavern. And the postcard goes on to say, the room rates, the room rates were from $2.50 upward. Can you imagine that? But from the time it opened until the early 1960s, the Sir Walter was the social and business hub of the capital city, and in many ways, the entire state of North Carolina. The elegance and amenities of the Sir Walter propelled the hotel into social prominence. 
The hotel became the in place to hold a banquet, a reception, or a very special private party. As evidence of this, note that the Sir Walter was the hotel of choice for the Raleigh Debutante Ball for many years. And for those who may not be aware, the Raleigh Debutante Ball serves to introduce North Carolina's prominent young women to society. The Terpsichorean. The Terpsichorean Club. Very good, Tom. I'm showing off. Okay. Actually, I had to practice to say that word. (laughs) I think it means the love of dance or something Uh, like that. I think you're right. But the Sir Walter held an even more revered place in the political history of the times. Remember that until 1963, the North Carolina General Assembly met in the state capitol building in downtown Raleigh. Elegant as it was, the capitol simply did not contain enough space for 120 members of the House of Representatives, 50 members of the state Senate, and all their attendant staff to hold the various legislative committee meetings and other functions that comprise a normal session of the assembly. Because of its close proximity to the Capitol, it's only three blocks away on Fayetteville Street, and also because of its amenities, the Sir Walter provided much of the additional needed space. As a matter of fact, by 1925, over three-quarters of the state's legislators stayed at the Sir Walter while the legislature was in session. And this trend continued for many years, until the Sir Walter justly earned the nicknames of Third House of the Legislature, and Second State House. It has been jokingly said that many laws were either passed or defeated in the rooms of the Sir Walter than in the actual legislature. So over the years, the Sir Walter has been privileged to accommodate many famous business, entertainment, and political figures. But probably, well, definitely, the most prominent of all came in 1948. While on his re-election campaign trail, President Harry S. Truman and his wife and daughter paid a surprise visit to Raleigh during the time of the NC State Fair. They stayed in the governor's suite on the 10th floor of the hotel. But the hotel's fortunes began to wane in 1963 when the new legislative building opened, which provided legislators with ample office and meeting space so the amenities formerly provided by the Sir Walter were no longer needed. And in addition, the Velvet Cloak Inn, owned by J.W. York, opened that year and began to compete for social functions. So from that time on, it's a long up-and-down history for the Sir Walter. But let us just say that the Sir Walter has changed hands and functions several times. It was once converted into an office building, leased largely by state government. In 1978, the Sir Walter was placed on the National Register of Historical Places. Soon thereafter, the building was converted into approximately 114 apartments for seniors by Goldsboro Goldsboro developer David Wheel. Exactly. Although several schemes have been proposed recently to convert the hotel back into the elegant hostelry it once was, they have all proved impractical. And so the hotel remains a senior apartment complex today. Before you, okay, before I was going to say before you go to the very personal part of this, I want to stop so we can take a break so we won't have to interrupt that. We're listening to Ann Buddenhagen, uh, and you will find out her special intimate connection with the Sir Walter Hotel 
Uh, I, she didn't mention one thing that I'm required to mention, and that is that for a time, the antenna that broadcast <laughs> WPTF was on top of the Sir Walter Hotel. Yes, it was. I even have a postcard that pictures it you there. Could, I was going to say you can buy a postcard, <laughs> or you could buy a postcard that, that in fact, pictured that. And, and in fact, until 19, 1987, our studios were about a block from the mm-hmm. Sir Walter Hotel. And, and I think maybe at some time they actually were in the Sir Walter Hotel. Mm, not sure about that, but I'm definitely sure. the antenna was on the roof. But they moved it around a lot in those days, and I think maybe mm-hmm. it was in a in a like a below city level kind of place either there. But in any event. Uh, and Anne has an interesting story to tell you about that, uh, and so we're going to get to that. But we need to pause here for a couple of moments before we come back and find out. Uh, uh, well, I'm going to let it out of the bag. She ended up living at the Sir Walter <laughs> Hotel. Nine twenty-two. A very special guest tonight. We hear her voice on the Tom Kearney show a lot because she knows a lot of trivia. And I will have to say in the background is her, her fella, uh, who reportedly turned her on to this radio station. And I would say he has good taste because he <laughs> married her and he knows a good radio program when he hears one. But in any event, she's been with us before. But I know that she spent a good part of her early life in the Sir Walter Hotel, which she's told you a little bit about its history and its significance. And now we're going to talk about why you live there. But I do want to say you showed me a picture, I think. Uh, when Mr. Truman or somebody was there, and it had your father in it, mm-hmm. and it had Bernie Batchelor in it. No, no. That's not— No, no. Am I, am I too soon? Um, well, actually, I was saving that story for maybe okay. some, maybe later. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. I just, but I, I'm not wrong that I did see that picture. Um, yes. Okay. That, okay. I'm out of this. How did you come to live at the Sir Walter Hotel? Well, Tom, my dad served in the Navy in World War II, and he received his training in Norfolk, Virginia. And there, he and Mom met several other hotelmen and their wives, and they naturally hung out together when they were off duty. Well, one of the men he met was a gentleman named Roland Mumford, who was then the manager of the Sir Walter. Uh, the Sir Walter was part of the Meyer Hotel chain run out of Jacksonville, Florida. Well, after the war ended, servicemen were supposed to be reemployed in the jobs they held before the war, but the hotel Dad had been working for had been sold and the new owners did not feel any obligation to rehire him. In contrast, when Roland Mumford returned from the war, he was promoted to vice president of the entire Meyer chain, so the position of manager of the Sir Walter was vacant. Roland offered the position to my dad, even though there was considerable opposition to bringing down a Yankee to manage a southern establishment. And I actually have the letter wherein Roland offered the job to my father and told him that there was opposition because he was a Yankee. Okay. So Mom and Dad journeyed south, and they arrived in Raleigh on December 31st, 1946. When Dad took over his duties, he was dismayed to discover that the hotel employees worked seven days a week and received only one week's vacation a year. Among the very first things he did was to give all hotel employees one day off a week. Now, this may not sound like a lot in today's business environment, but you have to crawl before you can run. So the gratitude of the employees for this policy change would become evident when I came along several years later. You see, Tom, I am adopted. 
Mom and Dad left Raleigh to journey to Scranton, Pennsylvania, which was Mom's hometown, for what they thought would be their third and final interview on the road to adopting a baby. When they sat facing the Mother Superior across her desk, it was a Catholic orphanage, she began the session by saying they had decided to dispense with the final interview. Mom and Dad were dismayed because they thought that that meant they were being turned down for a baby. But the Mother Superior went on to say, because your baby was born yesterday. So Dad called back to the hotel to announce the good news and explained that they would be returning a few days later than they had expected, and with little old me. (laughs) Now, understand, they had absolutely nothing in the way of baby supplies, because they had no idea they were even close to the actual adoption day. So the employees of the hotel got together and had an incredible array of supplies and other paraphernalia ready for them when they returned. The hotel carpenter handmade a crib and a bedside lamp for me. The maids on the 10th floor where our apartment was located bought a crucifix for over my bed because they knew Mother was a devout Catholic. The front office staff bought an assortment of diapers and other supplies. The kitchen staff provided formula, and every department in the hotel did something. So I guess you could say I was well provided for because my dad provided well for his employees. Well, uh, you, you, you've told me this story before, but you've told me a little bit of things that I did not know before about <laughs> exactly how this happened. So you, you've kind of taken um, taken me uh, uh, by surprise, but I can see the the staff at the Sir Walter trekking off to Hudson Belt across <laughs> the street or down to uh, uh, what was it uh, the hardware store down the street Briggs Briggs Hardware and uh, and providing for uh, the uh, the uh, the new baby that was going to come. Uh, we need for you to keep going though, and and to tell us to begin the prop- proposition of growing up in the hotel. I have always kind of thought that that's something that I would like to do. You no, know, I would highly recommend it. <laughs> well, you're sort of at the center of things. You get to meet a lot of interesting people. and Yes, but you're a baby. You don't know that. Right, but <laughs> but you, you have people looking after you. and uh, mm, That's not always as great as it's cracked up to be. You didn't, but, get, but, to, you didn't get to sneak around a lot. I, see, oh, well, I did. I did. Well, but you, let, me, let me just tell you that growing up in the hotel was the same, and yet it was different from what any other middle-class girl growing up would have experienced. I did the same kinds of things. I just did them in a slightly different way. For example, some parents might build a sandbox for their children to play in so the children could get lots of fresh air and still be somewhat supervised and contained. Well, the hotel obviously did not have a backyard in which to build a sandbox, but it did have a roof. My parents had a sandbox built on the roof, probably by the same carpenter as built my crib. But unfortunately, it didn't work out. I got too much fresh air for one thing. It's very windy, 10 stories over the ground. Mm -hmm. And apparently the police and fire engine sirens scared me. Mom told me she called the police and fire departments and asked them to please not have the sirens on so loud because they were scaring her baby. Now... I think you can ima- just imagine what they must have thought about her, though I'm sure they were very polite in their refusal to lower the volume. 
We're going to have to stop here, Ann, for just a second because it's time to check the news. And Bud Hagen, who lived at the Sir Walter Hotel, is telling us about that experience. We'll be back after we check the news. The following is a pre-recorded program. 933 and News Radio 680-WPTF. We always do a little promoing here. Pam Beck, our resident gardener, is going to be here tomorrow night and talk about some gardens in North Carolina that you might want to visit if you like plants and so on. And Friday night, of course, it's going to be trivia night, and we're going to expect Miss Budenhagen to give us a call because we're going to be doing song lines, you know, <laughs> just, 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 just not music, but the lines out of songs, you know, we'll see if you recognize those. But Ann Budenhagen, who is a, a uh, listener to, to this show, I appreciate, but she is uh, knowledgeable about the Sir Walter Hotel, uh, one of the most significant buildings historically in Raleigh. And the, the other thing that I had needed to do when you were talking about the three uh, important government buildings in, in Raleigh is that we have to remind people who don't know North Carolina history like you and I do that the capital of Raleigh is the capital. It isn't the state house. That's where the legislature meets, but that's just where they meet. It's kind of like an extension, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, the building in the middle of the square with all the statues around it <laughs> is the capital uh, of North Carolina. But an awful lot of governing was done. And what I would really like to do sometime is to, uh, I, I'm beginning to sound salacious here, is to have <laughs> you uh, interviewed and write an account of uh, all the secret stuff that went on at the uh at the Sir Walter but Rock. if I told, then it wouldn't be secret anymore, would it? Well, that's true. <laughs> but then again, that's what we media people are about, you know. Uh-huh. It's, it's trying to... I have a degree in journalism. I understand uh, these I didn't, things. Another thing I didn't know about you. I've got to watch <laughs> out for this lady. But anyway, we, we, we've we got you born. We've got your, your crib and your sandbox. Uh, but what it was like, what was it like? I, I remember from, we've done part of this program before, uh, you you would have your friends over and maybe you went bowling in the hall and I'm I'm just kidding. now Tom you're you're telling stories again uh, before uh, me I know but I'm just just <laughs> uh, well this is a tease you know oh, well I want to hear about that and I know that you walked out every day and walked up the street I'm guessing about six blocks to go to school about because, that because the Catholic school mm-hmm. was up on the corner of Hillsborough and whatever street that is uh, right okay you know where I'm talking <laughs> about yes I do uh, but. Uh, Anyway, what was it like to grow up in the hotel? You, you know, I was suggesting that I would like to grow up there, and you were suggesting, well, there were good parts and bad parts. Well, tell us about that. Well, think about meals. Unless we wish to eat in the coffee shop, which was the name of the restaurant located in the hotel, we had to have room service because for most of the time I lived in the hotel, our apartment did not include a kitchen. Now, I know this sounds like heaven, No cooking, no cleaning, and a gourmet menu from which to choose every day. But I also know my mom hated it. As the wife of the manager of the hotel, she couldn't let any of the staff see her not perfectly dressed and groomed. So whenever we wanted something to eat, especially breakfast in the morning, mom couldn't appear in a bathrobe and slippers. She had to be the perfect example of the wife of the hotel manager, before she got me up, and I had to be fully dressed and coughed as well. But I can tell you, I made a game out of tormenting the waitstaff. We had a big drop-leaf table in the entranceway to our apartment, and I would hide under that table and jump out to scare the waiters whenever they delivered our meals. We usually had the same waiter each time, and he always acted very surprised when I would jump out at him. 
It wasn't until many years later that I realized not only did he know what was coming because I always did the same thing every time he delivered our food, but also he could see me hiding under the table from the side as he wheeled the room service cart into the apartment. But he always played along. Um, One of the other examples I have of how I did the same thing other little girls did, I just did them a little bit differently. When I got a little older, my parents bought me a tricycle. Well, where was I going to ride a tricycle? Fayetteville Street was far too busy with automobiles and pedestrians to allow a toddler just learning to ride a trike loose among them. So, naturally, I just rode it up and down the hallways in the hotel, (laughs) mostly on the 10th floor where our apartment was. Of course, the 10th floor was also home to the governor's suite, which was the finest suite of rooms in the hotel and reserved for VIPs only. Uh, Let's go back for just a second because it could be a misunderstanding. It really was just named the governor's suite. It was not his suite. No, it was not his suite. It was was just just the name. Right, Right. exactly. Because I can see taxpayers out there now saying, what's going on here? (laughs) (laughs) You're right, they would. Now, I don't remember actually running into any hotel guests with my tricycle, but I do know I never graduated to a bicycle. Perhaps my parents knew I would be a true terror on the bike. So, let's see. Oh, this is a terrific story. When I started grade school, Mom had the kitchen staff pack me a lunch in a brown paper bag. And it was by far the neatest brown paper bag in the whole school. The top of the bag was folded at least twice, and the creases in the folds were crisp and sharp. The bag was packed so there were no unsightly bumps or bulges. And as I recall, the folds were stapled together so the lunch wouldn't fall out. And what was in the bag was surely a meal fit for a princess. There was always a roast beef sandwich with the bread crusts all neatly trimmed away. And I seem to recall carrot sticks and an apple or dried apricots as well. Now, Tom, I don't care whether it's Spam or a PB&J or, in my case, a roast beef sandwich. If you have it every day, you soon grow to hate it. But in reality, I didn't really care because I had a roast beef sandwich. And this meant I had my pick of whatever the rest of my classmates had for lunch. You could trade. Exactly. I could trade for anything I wanted. Well, one day, Mom asked me how my lunch was. And like the good little truthful child I was, I told her that I had traded my roast beef sandwich for something else. Big mistake. She asked why. And I told her I wanted a little variety in my lunch. So Mom told the kitchen staff to vary what was in the sandwich. The next day, I had a bologna sandwich. And the next day. And the day after that. And so on. And so on. And so forth. And no one would trade for a bologna sandwich. Now, to this day, I don't like bologna sandwiches. Oh, my goodness. I would have traded. I would love to have had your bologna sandwich. You've... you've you won't, what is it that you want to do now? Go on to the next question. To the next question. Okay, well, I was ready. Uh, <laughs> uh, were there any particular problems? And this, what you were just talking about, may have been a particular problem associated with being raised in the hotel. I mean, that made it uh, not the uh, ideal situation that uh, we might have guessed that it might be. Well, probably the problem my parents worried about most was my safety. 
A hotel is a very open environment with lots of people coming and going all the time. It was practically impossible to shelter a small child from anyone who deliberately wanted to do her harm. My parents were very, very careful to be sure no staff or guests in the hotel had access to me without their knowledge. So we had taken four rooms on the 10th floor as our apartment. Dad had the carpenters construct a wall that shut off our apartment from the rest of the floor, and it had a very secure door in the middle. And the door was equipped with a peephole, so they, or I, with the aid of a nearby chair, could see who was trying to gain access to the apartment. This was in the hall, actually. It yes. It blocked the hall off so people yes. could not come down exactly. the hall. Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, if, you, if I can interrupt on what I've wondered about this, because I can imagine uh, that on the nights of the Terpsichorean Ball, and as an article I read today pointed out, many of the, the ladies who were making their de- debuts had uh, dates from, I don't know why they said this, but this is what I read, from Carolina fraternities, <laughs> I mean, why they singled out the university. But it, it could have been a, kind of some wild evenings. There, there were. There, there were. were. But that's, that's part of those secrets that I swore never to tell. Okay. All right. <laughs> I, I didn't know if this was a particular problem associated, but that may no. have been why they were trying to protect you, too. Well, my parents drilled <clears throat> into me that I was never, never to open that door to our apartment unless one of them was at home. Never, ever, for any reason. Well, I learned that lesson, and apparently I took it seriously. One day when I was about eight or nine, Aunt Lou, who was my mom's best friend, but not really related to us, not really my aunt, stopped by to bring me an Easter cake she had baked me. She rang the bell, and standing on the chair to use the peephole, I saw that it was her. But you wouldn't let her in. And I could see that luscious-looking cake she had with her, too. But no one was home except me, so I explained through the door that I couldn't let her in. She tried to talk me into just opening the door so she could hand me the cake. She promised she wouldn't come in, and boy, that cake looked good. But I stood my ground on the chair. I wouldn't let her in. But I really wanted that cake. And then I thought of a solution. I suggested she leave the cake in front of the door and walk back down the hall toward the elevator. When she disappeared around the corner, I opened the door and snatched the cake inside before Aunt Lou or anyone else could have made it back to the apartment. Now, I'm sure my parents got a good chuckle about the incident when Aunt Lou told them about it, but they were very happy that I had strictly obeyed their orders about opening the door. So you could say that I had my cake and got to eat it, too. (laughs) You knew that was coming, didn't you? Uh, No, I didn't. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm afraid I'm... (laughs) I'm not as suspicious as I used to be. Now, I've got to ask you, maybe I'm holding back because I don't want to get ahead. My brother gets on me about doing this sometimes because I I ask his questions before he's going to. But uh, there probably came a time when some young man came by to call on you. Did this ever present a problem or or when he brought you back home? Well, let's just say a certain young man who might actually be present in the studio tonight. Oh, my goodness. Uh Uh-huh. He um, he wanted to take me out on a date, and he had a motorcycle. And Mother said that I couldn't ride on a motorcycle. So he rode the motorcycle down to the hotel and parked it, and we walked from the hotel to the Ambassador Theater, which was about two blocks away, mm-hmm. and we saw The Sound of Music in its original run. 
Mm-hmm. And then he brought me back to the hotel after the movie was over, and he tells me that he really was hoping to get a kiss. And um, so he leaned forward as if he was going to kiss me. But remember, I was raised as a good Catholic little girl. Uh-huh. And so I kind of leaned away from him, and he didn't get his kiss that night. And I didn't I've, see. I didn't know you had known the gentleman who said you know this long. <laughs> and he tells me that it's the lack of a kiss that might have intrigued him all those years that we were apart. Those forty-one years that we never saw each other. Um, so that eventually he called me again, and the rest, as I like to say, is history in the making. <laughs> well, is that what, right? <laughs> what you sound like, though. If you're a watcher of public television, you know there's a program called As Time Goes By. And yes. the couple met during the Korean War, and then they were separated for 38 years, and then they meet again, and that's what you sound like. Well, we, we beat them by three years. By, by three years. <laughs> but, but no, this, this is, I had, did not know because I, you have, have uh, re-met and married the gentleman uh, in exactly. the time that I have known you, which is not that long. Right. So, well, it sounded like there were not as many problems as there might have been. There may have been other problems, but we're going to find out about them in the last quarter of this program after we take this break. 950 WPTF. I have been remiss. I will probably get 30 lashes when the program is over. Is this Cecil? Yes, it is. You have yes. a question for our guest tonight. I apologize for making you wait so long. Good evening, Cecil. Good evening, uh, been an enjoyable conversation I've been listening to between you two, and uh, <laughs> well, thank you. And informative and, and interesting. Um, anyway, what I'm trying to find out is if you remember, I'm on in eastern North Carolina, down near Jacksonville, and but I've lived I'm living in Raleigh since '83. But anyway, a good friend of mine uh, joined the Air Force back in the '60s. And he came through Raleigh, through the military uh, uh, processing, through Raleigh back in about 66. And he said that he had to spend the night. And they put him up in the Sir Walter Hotel there for one night. Mm-hmm. And he said what he did was uh, he and his friend uh, got a room at the hotel there. And then they went out to get something to eat. And they, they went to a pool room that had a restaurant in it that was close by, and he was trying to remember that the, the name of that. And he asked me if I knew it, and, you know, and I said, no, I don't, but uh, I'll try to find out, you know. But yeah. I'm sure it's not there anymore. I, I mean, I know it's not, but anyway. You said he went where to, to get something to well, eat in a restaurant? Well, he, right around somewhere around close within a, a few blocks of the Sir Walter Hotel. A pool room with a restaurant. A pool room? Yeah, a billiard, you know. Okay. Gosh, I have no idea what that would be. Yeah. Um, well, I wasn't allowed out at night, I can tell you, for most of the time I lived in the hotel. So. Well, I know, you, but I didn't know if you knew the, the businesses that were, you know, within proximity of the hotel there. So I, I don't think my parents would have allowed me to know about a pool hall. Okay, here's <laughs> Sorry. A, but here's... Go ahead. I was going to say, Cecil, here's the way. I've been at this a long time. Here's the way to do this. We, he was at the Sir Walter Hotel. He went out to a pool room that had a restaurant. This was about 1964, right? 66. 66. Okay, that's good enough. If anybody knows anything about this, uh, 
we, we've got a re- huge research organization out there. <laughs> Give us a call. Uh, it's uh, 919-860-9783. I'm going to put you on hold, Cecil, and John, our producer, is going to take your number. And if anybody calls in and that we don't get them on the air with the answer, we'll call you and tell you what it is. How about that? Yes, that's great. He he was within walking distance of this place, so it's just been, you know, a few blocks within, you know, two or three blocks, I would imagine. Well, Anywhere there used to be a— well, there used to be a pool room right not too far from there called Strix Pool Room because Governor Scott used to go over there once. Well, Charles Craven used to, uh, the newspaper man, the governor, well, he only went one time that I know, but in any event, uh, it was a famous pool. Do they have a restaurant? I do not know the answer to that, sir. I'm, I did not frequent downtown pool rooms very much at that point in my I'm life. I'm sorry, neither did I, Cecil. Uh, but, uh, it was just a, a shot in the dark. What was the name of that one time? Strix. The man's name was Strickland, I think, and it was. But that may have been it, but I do not know. But but let's wait and see what happens. Okay. Yeah, of course. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Cecil. Thank you. And maybe we'll get an answer. Somebody will. There will be somebody who remembers that who used to shoot pool. (laughs) Particularly, we've got a time for just about one story here, and you have a standing invitation to come back again if you want to come back, uh, and just tell stories. Uh, that would be great. I have so many stories I couldn't possibly fill up. I mean, right. I could fill up several hours. <laughs> well, uh, th- th- there have been many nights uh, and I, that I wished we, we had a two-hour program because there's some subjects that are worth one hour and some subjects that are worth two hours. And that's why we sometimes wait a couple of weeks and then continue it. And we'll, we'll see if we can do this. In fact, we did this once before. We did. And that would be fine with me to uh, do it again. If you, if you want to come back, we'll have you come back. Uh, but before... You go tonight because I stumbled into it and I didn't mean to. But what about the story about the picture with uh, with Bernie in, in it? Well, I'm actually going to have to defer that okay. one until next time because that one is way too long. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. But, but you say, <laughs> Harry Truman, off the top of your head, and we had, I think I read one time that something like 80% of the members of the state legislature or some number like that, a high number. Oh, it was at least, were, yes. Were, room, were rooming at the Sir Walter Hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but undoubtedly, there were other famous people. Did Babe Ruth ever stay at the Sir Walter Hotel or, or uh, anyone like that? Uh, you know, famous people that, that came through. You know, I never actually got to meet any of them, but I do have pictures of uh, some celebrities who stayed at the hotel, and uh, there was a cowboy who was famous for doing rope tricks. Larry, do you remember who it was? It was probably Tex Ritter or, or nah, Lash LaRue or somebody else. I can't like. remember, but who did? Will Rogers? No, he was dead. He died no, in 1935. Um, yeah. I do remember there was a governor of North Carolina who, uh, on a dare, sort of milked a cow in the lobby of the Sir Walter that sounds like Governor Scott, to tell you the truth. Um, I think it was prior to him. <laughs> prior to but him. I'm, okay. I have all of this um, researched and written down at home, and so I'm not quite prepared for that part tonight. Well, you know, I, I've got to remind you, though, that there were several that uh, if you were thinking of Robert Scott, but his father was governor, too, right? That's a, true. Right after That's World true. War II, about the time that your, your dad came to Raleigh. And he was a real live farmer, as a matter of fact, who over in the, the Hall River area and— uh, uh, but he, he might have milked a cow there. Well, you know, the political portion of the hotel um, was such that when it was time for campaigns, the Democrats had their uh, campaign headquarters on one floor of the hotel and the Republicans were on the very next floor. 
Uh, so during those parts of the year, I think the hotel was pretty much flooded with nothing but politicians. I can remember when they would have uh, rallies and stuff, and maybe it was the Democrats or maybe it was the night of the elections or something, but actually on the roof of the part that extended out uh, over the street. Mm, I no, I don't remember you know, that. You don't remember no, that? No, I don't. Well, Jim, Jim Thorne, I think, the barefoot boy from Broad Slab, <laughs> was a frequent entertainer in those things. But— uh, Anyway, it's been good to hear some stories about the Sir Walter Hotel. I, of course, grew up in Goldsboro, North Carolina, which has a hotel which is supposed to be a smaller version of the Sir Walter and was designed by the same architect. I can I know that that is true, and so uh, I've always been sort of well, interested. Well, I've never been there, and I really should go and check it out. You should then. go and yes. just look at it. And one of the things we can talk about next time is whether being on the National Historical Registry is going to affect what happens to the Sir Walter Hotel. But we won't do that tonight. That's okay. a kind of a radio tease there. <laughs> Ann Buddenhagen has been our guest. Tomorrow night, Pam Beck will talk about flowers.